Merry Christmas. It's great to be with you all to celebrate Christmas Eve with you all. And I want to do that in the few minutes that I have looking at one of the probably most well-known of the Christmas accounts in the Gospels, the, the, the account or the, the story of the announcement to the shepherds on the evening on the day of, that Jesus was born, the announcement um, of Christ's birth. But this particular account, like a lot of the gospel accounts, I would say there's more here than meets the eye. The, the met, start with the shepherds. You know, the, this message comes to the shepherds, and I believe that that's intentional. Right? The very first people to receive this message, if, at least if you're a Bible believer, you know, in the, in the history of the Bible, the story of the, the God's uh, work in the, in the world recorded in the scriptures, this is the most um, significant event is the birth of God's son. It is the most, even now, all these 2,000 years later, it is that everything hinges on the birth of God's son. This is the announcement. And of all the time, all the preparation, okay, if you, if you uh, think of the Old Testament as, a, as, as generations of preparation and prophecies for this event, it all comes to the birth of this child, which is announced here, and it's announced to shepherds. Now, in Jesus' day, okay, in this time, the shepherds, you might, you might say they're the kind of every man or every person of the first century. In other words, they, they didn't go to fancy hotels. They, didn't, they, they weren't people of importance. They, they were sort of the every man, the every person of the first century. However, they were the people. There's a message here for us, I think, that God chose not only to hear, the, receive the message, the very first uh, top people to receive the message, which is shepherds, they were also the first people to respond to the message. And I want to study their response just in a few minutes because I hope we can learn something about what they did um, in our day, in our moment, if we too want to experience the peace that was announced and is announced in the good news of the gospel. We have a copy of the Bible. You can open it, turn it on, or look with me on the screens behind me at this passage, Luke chapter 2, looking at verse 8 through 18 in a message titled, The Offer of Peace. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be cause for great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
I think the first thing that I can learn, we can learn from the shepherds in this passage is to listen carefully to the word of God um, on your life or for your life. Listen carefully to the word of God on your life. These shepherds, as this passage, I mean, they, they were people with real jobs, okay? They're in the middle of their workday when this happens. They're people with real jobs like you and I. They're people with real fears, which are addressed in this passage, like you and I. However, they heard this word. They allowed this word to address their fears, and they were willing to respond and took action as a response from this word, and it changed the course of their life, okay? They heard the word, okay? They believed the word. They allowed it to address the fears in their life, and they took action and it changed their life. If you've been in church for any length of time, um, you would know that the good news is what it says. Do not be afraid, I bring you good news. Now the, word, the, the words, two words, good news, is also translated in many other places, just one word, which is gospel. It's the same thing. Two ways to translate the same thing. And many of you would probably know, as I say, if you've been in church any length of time, that the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is very simple. Oh, a simple way to explain it is it's what God, in and through the person of Jesus, which is why this is such a big announcement, what God has done for you, period. It's what God has done for you, and if you are a Christian, you might say what he still wants to do in and through your life as a follower of Jesus, period, right? In other words, you cannot earn God's favor. You cannot earn, let's call it salvation. The gospel is not something you buy. And listen, it's not something that you achieve, right? And it's, it's, that's not only a, something that the world, I'm saying someone out in the world, because in the world, the whole culture of the world is about, you know, earning and producing and getting and, you know, who can jump higher and who can pay more and who's better looking. And everything about the world that we live in is about a sense of achievement, and many people, not just you know, uh, uh, us, but us too, you, you take that grid and you lay it on top of your religious faith. And we, we've even practiced our Christianity or whatever our faith is in that way. I want to jump higher than you do in church. You know what I mean? But the, what, what the gospel tells us, this is why it's good news, by the way. You can't earn your God's favor. You cannot earn God's love. You can't achieve God's love. But you do, however, need to believe it. Okay? This is really the challenge. Are you listening carefully? You have to believe it um, with, with all of your heart. You, know, you have to make room in your life. It needs to, I'm talking about the good news, right? I'm sharing with you right here, or the word of God itself. It needs to capture your imagination. It needs to address your fears. It needs to even go beyond that and give you courage to live a different kind of life. And this is what I want to ask you, okay? I, I'm pretty confident that everyone in this room or most of the people, the overwhelming majority listening to me tonight here or in through the live stream in your home, you've heard the story of the gospel in a manner of speaking. You've probably heard this very famous account. But has it captured your imagination? Has it truly addressed your fears? Because if it isn't, then it's not really good news. Those of you who do know the, the, the gospels at any length, or the first three anyway, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's this block of teaching called the parables. 
And actually, Jesus' greatest block of teaching, if you read the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is um, in parables. And what are parables? Very simple way to understand parables. They're kind of a, a, a simple story, everyday analogies, with a usually a single spiritual point. You know, we, we do this all, we, all of, we, we have our own uh, versions of this. But Jesus told a series of parables, they're called the parables of the kingdom, which is a fancy way of saying, I want to tell you what life is like um, when God is in, is um, the way God sees the world, the way God sees your life. It's called the kingdom of God. And he told these parables, and they're just simple stories but they all have an individual point. And the first of the parables, and in in when they're the list as they're shared in these different parts of the gospel, the first one is always the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower is a very simple uh, parable. It's simply, Jesus says, there was a farmer. And this farmer went out to sow seed. Parable of the sower. And he says, and later he tells his disciples, the seed, it's a parable, represents the word of God or the words of God. That's what it represents. The seed represents the word of God. And, but the point of the parable is not all of the seed that is sown produces the same kind of fruit, the same kind of growth. And, the, and, and Jesus says, well, this is the reason why. It's not about the seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed. It's the same seed. It has to do with the soil, which represents the human heart. And there are hard hearts and there are stony hearts, and there are hearts that are indifferent. It's all about listening. And when it's over, they, the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, Lord, after he told all these parables, and say, tell us what is the meaning of this parable. And Jesus said, do you not understand? Okay. He says, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any of the parables. And, he, and they said, why? And he said, because this parable is about listening. He said, this is, he quoted these famous words and said more than once in the gospel. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. That's a Bible's way of saying, are you listening, right? Are you listening? Yes, you've heard these words before, okay? And you may hear them again uh, in the course of your life, not just Luke 2, but the Bible. But are you listening? Are they capturing your imagination, are they around enough in your heart that they're really addressing your fears? Are they, are, are they going beyond addressing your fears that you have taking some courageous action in your life and you're going places that you haven't gone before? Because if that's not what's happening to you, it's not going to change your life as it did to these. This is my question or one of the key questions here uh, this evening about this passage. How might your life be different? especially if you consider yourself a Christian here, but even if you don't. How might your life be different? How might my life be different if you believed the good news? It's a shorthand for God's word. If you believe the good news all the way to the bottom of your heart, okay? If you believed it all the way to the bottom of your heart, right? What, how would your life be different if the good news, talking about the gospel, God's word, was more important to you than whatever is taking center stage in your mind and your heart right now, right? What is, is God's word have center stage in your mind or heart or do other things and other worries and other fears? Well, if it doesn't have center stage, it will not change your life. The first thing we learn from these shepherds is you need to listen carefully, okay? Listen carefully to 
the word of God for your life. Second thing we learn in this um, famous passage is you need to, I need to go to Bethlehem in a manner of speaking. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing so important. That has happened, okay? You've heard someone say this. I think it was Tim Keller, but the gospel is not good advice, okay? It's good news, right? As I said a minute ago, it's not about what you, it's not you and God do something together. You don't meet God halfway. You don't show God your best. The gospel is what God has done for you. Let's go to Bethlehem and see what has happened. But then what's so interesting, in the middle of this passage, there is an irony. As I said, I think there's more here than meets the eye. And what I mean by an irony is, is there's something here that really seems out of place. And what the out of place thing in this very famous passage is this. You're in these shepherds. You're out there in the field. Certainly, this is, this is a story they would be telling for the rest of their lives. In other words, these guys went every single night. They, they worked at night. They were kind of the B-shift, I guess. They're out there at night doing their thing. And this night, they get this angelic visit, right? You know, the shepherds were out in the fields, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, I suppose, in the sky. This light shone around them, verse 11, and they get this announcement. So no question, this was the most significant night of their lives, in a manner of speaking. But then, which is typical of the Old Testament, and this is kind of the Old Testament environment, right? The New Testament hasn't been written yet. And then the angel says, listen, what you're seeing right here, this great announcement that I just gave you, today in the city of David, a, a, a Savior has been born, a Messiah. These are, these are very important words in the Old Testament. Jews would know immediately what they were. This is happening. It's happening now. But then he says, I want to give you a sign, Right? That's kind of strange sometimes for us to hear that. But this happened often in the, in the relationship of God in the people in the Old Testament. And I said, I want to give you a sign. But here's what's so strange. The greatest moment, especially if you're Jewish in this moment, in the history of the world was the final coming of God's promised son, the promised prophet, the promised Messiah, verse 11. Okay? Very, the anointed one. And this is coming, they're saying, listen, I wonder what the sign's going to be. Well, with the sign, when God wanted to deliver the people out of Egypt, we remember that one, he parted the Red Sea. Can you imagine that, right? Parted the Red Sea. They parted the Jordan River, you know. God had manna fall from, uh, for 40 years in the wilderness as a sign of his love. Can you imagine? Would that demonstrate something to you about the power of God? Well, I'm, if I'm a shepherd, I'm thinking, boy, this is more important than the Exodus. This is more important than getting into the promised land. This is more important than all the food that our ancestors ate in the promised land. What might this sign be? It's going to be pretty amazing and pretty dramatic. But guess what? This is the irony. There will be a sign for you. Ready? Wait for it. Verse 12. You're going to see a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Instead of something dramatic, instead of something amazing, it's something as common as another baby being born from a, into a poor family, Mary and Joseph were poor, in the back room of somebody's house in Bethlehem. In fact, it's very likely that Jesus wasn't the only baby born on that first Christmas day. What gives? What kind of a sign 
of the most dramatic event, the greatest event that ever happened, if you're, again, a Bible believer, this is the story, you've been waiting for thousands of years since the book of Genesis was written for the coming of the promised one, and it's a baby born in, a, in the back room of somebody's house. Here's the point. If the God of the Bible is the God of history, okay, then Jesus was not born in a manger because all the hotels were booked up that night, okay? That's not the reason. Jesus was born in a manger in these very humble circumstances through these very humble parents, the son of a, so, you know, so to speak, of a carpenter, not an engineer, right? Not a CEO, not a professional athlete, not a governor of a carpenter born in a manger, which is sort of a back room of somebody's house for only one reason, because that's what God intended, right? If he's the God of history... He's the God of certainly of this decision like he is of every other. The question is, why? You're supposed to ask yourself this question. God, why? Why would the greatest event in the history of the world that people have been waiting for, the promised Messiah, be a baby born in the most common and humble of way? And here's why. Jesus was born in a manger so that God could demonstrate his vulnerability, okay? Is there anything more vulnerable? Ask yourself this question. Anything more vulnerable than an infant, okay? An, a, 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 a newborn infant is 100%, okay, completely dependent on his parents or the other people around him. There is nothing more vulnerable, really, that I can think of, than a baby, okay? Especially one born to a poor family. Jesus was born in a manger to show God's vulnerability and to invite in response your vulnerability without which no one can be saved. This is the message of it, okay? Let me say it again. Jesus was born in a manger to show God's vulnerability to invite your vulnerability without which you cannot be saved. I would say this to you, and this isn't my thinking, okay? Both the manger and the cross, the other big sign in this gospels, right? How many, how many crosses have you driven by in the last month, right? Whether you're a Christian or not, a person of faith or not, right? The cross is a sign just like the manger is a sign. What is it assigned to? It points to, it confronts both of them, pride. That's what they're for. The pride behind the fear of rejection, the pride behind uh, my fear, your fear of failure, the pride behind our many attempts at self-justification that are a part of all of our lives. Here's the point. You come to God empty-handed, and with the humble heart, or you don't come at all, okay? This is what the gospel, it's, it's God's gift. It's what God has done for you, right? But you have to come empty-handed and with a humble heart. That's why Jesus was born in a manger. And that's why the Savior of the universe was crucified on a cross. The manger and the cross are, let's think about this for a minute, are signs of weakness, 
not strength, right? If the gospel was about strength, Jesus would have been a superhero. Jesus would have been a super athlete. Jesus would have been the most, you know, handsome and, you know, a, a, a powerful and, and, and winsome person. He wasn't that. The Bible says, we talked about this last Sunday if you were here, right? He, was, he, was, he had no beauty about him. There was nothing about his appearance that made anyone be interested in him. People, he was despised, despised and rejected as somebody who was rather unattractive. Why is that? Because both the manger, in the manger, as I look at the manger, that's what we're looking at tonight in the manner of speaking, at the cross, you're supposed to see yourself. That's the point. It's a sign of God's vulnerability that brings about your vulnerability. And it's only when your vulnerability, when you listen, you let down your defenses, you let down all your ridiculous pretenses about who you think you are or who I think I am and come to God with nothing but an empty hand. The cross and the manger are about you. And if you can't see yourself in the vulnerability of a baby and you can't see your own sin and your own pride and your own fear and your own self-righteousness in the cross, then you cannot be saved. But if you can, then it's the greatest news that you will ever hear. I like to read this um, columnist. Some of you would know him. Been around forever. Nicholas Kristof, who has been a, a syndicated columnist, really out of the New York Times, but he, he's, he's, he's syndicated all across, really, the world. And he and his wife have, are both uh, great human beings, have written a number of books, mostly on issues in the world that are about... Um, disenfranchised people. They wrote a book, they won a Pulitzer Prize about women in, in disenfranchised uh, um, uh, half the sky. They've written a book about kind of a, a book about um, the, um, the disenfranchised in, in the rust belt of Americans. They've, th- their, their heart, not only the writing that they've done, but the work that they've done. Just on Christmas, he and his wife put together this little you know, um, bundle of um, organizations that you can give to. Some of you may even give to them. They're sort of good deed organizations. Just in the last month or so, since they launched this, they do it every Christmas, they have raised over $6 million. Just this couple. All of it. Not a penny goes to them. It all goes to good, good things. Let me say this about Nicholas Kristof, who I admire, and his wife. If I lived, and I'm sincere, if I lived three lifetimes... If, if someone gave me the ability to live three lifetimes, I'm confident I would not do as much good in the world than Nick and his wife have done in their 50-plus years. But, he, in, 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 but in this um, recent column, he writes a column every Christmas. It was just a couple days ago. And he's been doing this for years around this gift-giving uh, opportunity. And he interviews a pastor or a person of faith. Last couple years have been at pastors. And in the article, he always asks them the same question. In fact, this is the title of the article. You can look at it. Pastor, am I a Christian? That's what he wants to know. But he says this, Pastor, am I a Christian? Because I believe I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the virgin birth. I don't believe in the resurrection. And I doubt the miracles. But pastor, am I a Christian? What I want to say to Nick is, listen, no, you're not, in my opinion. If what you're saying 
is that, listen, I'm a Christian. It's sort of a tongue-in-cheek. I'm a Christian because of what I have done. But see, it's a misunderstanding of the gospel. That's why many people are turned off by it. It's, 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 it's almost like it's a, you know, who can jump higher than the next person? Who can be one up the next person? This isn't the gospel. That's not what the baby, the baby in the manger is an act of vulnerability. This is supposed to be about humility, and so is the cross. You come to God empty-handed or you don't come at all. And to try to think that you're going to gain God's favor through all the good that you do, listen, it's a way to control God, it's like you're making a bargain with him, not a way to trust God. The manger and the cross demonstrate the vulnerability of God. Listen carefully. They both address the greatest fear that I would say every single person in this room or in this world really has, and that's the surrendering of control, right? The manger says you need to surrender your control. The cross says you need to surrender your control. And it's the, it's the only thing that you must do if you want to know true peace, okay? You can't earn your way to heaven. There's nothing you can give God in exchange for his love, but you do need to come empty-handed and with a humble heart. You need to go to Bethlehem and see this great thing that has happened. Last thing I want you, that happens in this passage, right? They, they, they see the baby Jesus, verse 17. This is the shepherds now. They spread the word concerning what had been told about them, about this child. Now watch this. And all who heard it, all who heard it were amazed. That's how the passage ends. And this is the question I think it's asking us. It's the question I'm asking myself as I was thinking about it over the last week. And it's the question I want to, I want to leave you with. And that is, are you amazed with this good news? It says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, the gospel, that will be the cause for great joy for all the people. Here's my question. Is it the cause for great joy in your life? Right? It's not something you do, you know, uh, once a week. It's not, it's, it's not about coming to church on Christmas Eve. Has the, do you listen carefully? Have you been to Bethlehem? Do you stand before the cross and realize there's nothing you can offer God? It's about what God offers you and you come with an empty heart. And does that love, does that grace, does it amaze you? Because unless it amazes you, truly amazes you, it will not change your life. But if it does, right, then you can go into a world, right, not to see what you can get. See, that's the way the world lives, right? I just go see what I can get, what I can, what I can take from other people, what I can find for myself. I don't need to go into the world to get. I can go into the world to give because my deepest needs have already been met. This is, what, that, this is good news. So here's what I, I want to just sort of throw this out to us as we close, right? Are you amazed? There's, there's, there's three kinds of people, I think, in this room, you could say, in this world, okay? The first kind is people that were amazed at some point in their past. In other words, they came to a, a true experience with the gospel. For me, it was a college student. They were amazed, and they remain 
amazed. Still live in the world that's broken and troubled. Still live in a world that's full of fears, right? The angels address the fears of these guys, these ladies. We, we all have reason to fear. We all have reasons uh, to be discouraged and troubled. None of us uh, get an exemption. But there are people who were amazed and remain amazed. And if you are one of those people, if I'm one of the people, there's only one reason why. Because I've listened, I, I continue to listen carefully to the word of God on my life. And I allow those words, not just to go in one ear and out the other, to have equal billing with, with, with cable news and whatever else is going on in my life. But they're, they're, they're ascendant in my heart. They're the most important words I have. And they capture my imagination. And they address my fears, right? And they give me courage to live in a different kind of way. I was amazed, I remain amazed. And if that's you, if that's me, here's our challenge. We need to go into the world and be peacemakers. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers. The only people that can go into a broken world and make peace are the people that already know it and are living out of it. Second kind of people are people who were amazed in the past. You've had a genuine experience with God's grace. You're a Christian. But if you're honest, you're not any amazed anymore. You're not living out of that grace. And the reason is, there's only one reason you're not living out of that grace. Because the volume of God's word has been turned down. And the volume of the things of this world have been turned up. And you are a Christian, but you don't feel like one. And you don't live like one. And if you're honest, you're as fearful and cynical as all the other people around you who aren't Christians. Okay? And then there's a third class of people, which is people listening to me. Uh, online or even in this room on a Christmas Eve who'd say, you know, I've heard this story before. You'd have to live in a, in a very remote place to have never heard the story of the, the angel and the shepherds. I've heard this story before, but I've never truly understood the meaning of the manger. That as we sang, he came so that he could die on a cross for our sins. I never understood what it really means. I've never been amazed by God's love. That's why I'm indifferent. That's why I'm ho-hum. I have never been amazed, but I'm open to being amazed right now, okay? So what I want to do is just pray for all of us, all three of categories of folks as we close and get ready to sing one more song. So pray with me. I just want you all to be in an attitude of prayer. Lord, first I pray for those of us in this room who were amazed and remain amazed. Five years, 10 years, 40 years later maybe. Lord, we thank you. I thank you that you would, you would demonstrate the kind of vulnerability to me in the, in the, in a, in the, in the manger and the kind of self-sacrifice and vulnerability on a cross so that I might see my humanity, I might see my deep need for grace. And I just thank you. And I pray you'd help us, Lord, who are remain amazed to be peacemakers in this world. I also pray, Lord, for those here listening to me who we're amazed but have lost their amazement. Who've allowed the things of this world, you know, um, you know, the coronavirus, the economy, you know, their love life, whatever the case may be, 
um, the noise of this world to drown out the good news. And I pray, Lord, for them, for those of us in that category, that we, Lord, would open our hearts for a fresh experience of the good news. We might have the good news um, detonate in our hearts in a new way and learn to live out of your grace and your peace. And last, Lord, I pray for anyone in this room or uh, listening to me this evening who've never truly um, opened their lives, you know, empty-handed, humble heart, and say, God, thank you for demonstrating such amazing love. Thank you for sending your son first as, an, as a baby in a manger and then a man on a cross to die for my sin, to bear the punishment for my peace so that I might be healed. Thank you for that. And I open my life for that great gift and ask for this forgiveness and thank you, uh, Father, Savior, and Lord. God, I just pray for us. Be with us. Hear our prayers, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us be amazed by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you stand? Let's sing together. Let's sing Silent Night. Oh, no. 
ask you to do one thing before we head out that is either in this room or online. If you made a first time decision to be amazed, that is to say, open your life for the very first time to receive God's grace, to receive his peace, you know, to become a Christian. All those things are three ways of saying the same thing. Um, if you would do us me uh, a favor, text Jesus to that number behind me. Why? Because we want to do a couple things. One, just send you a gift. We're grateful that you're here with us tonight, one either here or at home. We just want to say thank you and, and just uh, wish you a Merry Christmas with a small gift. But also, we want to just send you some information, some links to help you take some next steps in your faith, right? You got to listen to God, listen to God's word for your life carefully. You got to learn how to allow God's word to capture your imagination, to address your fears, right? This is a journey. It's a relationship. and We want to help you take next steps. So please do that um, if you would in the next minute or two. And then, of course, I want to wish you a very, very Merry